at you yet, you little devil. I'll stop your silly laughter. You'll have to catch me first. It's been put together by Nathan. Uh, our pizza's being put together by Zachary. That's another good name for Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's an assumed alias. Yeah. Speaking of assumed aliases... I'm putting my hair back up from the last episode. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, welcome to the Raincoat Report. This is Boss here with Jeremy. Hey, what's going on, you guys? It's uh, Franco-February. It's, an, it's another episode. It's week two. It's week two, and uh, we have a different type of film to cover this week. It's a very unfranconian Franco film. It is in a lot of ways. It doesn't share most of like his group of players or anything like that. No. It's almost divorced from the rest of his canon. <laughs> in a lot of ways it is. Uh, we're talking this week about... Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun. A film that I thought that I had seen. <laughs> yes, but apparently you had not. Um, it is an interesting film. So this one was released in 1977, shot in 1976. This is during Jess's tenure producing or directing films for Erwin C. Dietrich. Okay. And in Germany. Yes. So this particular run of films uh, produced a lot of different things, but this is also the run of films where Jess made multiple films for Erwin C. Dietrich mm -hmm. and may have also been funding a bunch of back pocket films as well, shooting yeah. other stuff and selling yeah. it to other people. Yeah, outlaw years. <laughs> but during one of the films he was making for Dietrich, uh, he just disappeared in the middle of the production, and uh, Dietrich had to show up and pay the hotel bills to get all the equipment back and everything, because oh, he just vanished. That's great. <laughs> um, the most likely cause of that was Jess owing money to other people and just ghosting, and uh, there is thought that perhaps uh, Dietrich had to pay some people off, and... Uh, more get than, things together. More than just the hotel. Yes, more than just the hotel. Yes. So, it's after this production that Jess ghosted on that uh, Dietrich really reined in Jess. Yeah. And so there were, afterwards, he made a couple of softcore, actually, he made a couple of hardcore films that were very stripped down, very low budget, almost nothing to them. Um, but basically Jess was being watched like a hawk to make sure that he wasn't fucking around. Yeah. And, uh, his run of films continued with Dietrich for a little while longer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, as time went on after that first couple of low budget films, Jess started to get more of a budget, but he was still kind of being closely controlled and watched and everything. Yeah. He's, uh, uh <laughs> I'm just really cracking up imagining him just having to do everything by the book right with like some uh some german uh goon just always in the back ready to <laughs> lay down the wall well the results of this are interesting because it did lead to him getting some higher budget films 
that seem to have a lot more time put into them. Yeah. And this would be one of those films. Mm -hmm. So, Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun is not a Lena Romay film. There was a gap of time around this period where Lena Romay disappeared from his films and then came back not too long afterwards. Um, this is around the time that Lena and her husband were splitting up and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, right oh. before she basically became Jess's life partner for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I like um, that she also went into hiding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but instead we have Susan Hemingway playing the lead role of Maria, uh, who was apparently 16 in this film. Yeah, it's not with the dub indicates no the well the character is 14 in the film yeah oh but, yeah that's but, right but the actress was 16 oh and the thing when i was watching it i watched it with the english dub mm -hmm. but i had the subtitles on oh yeah and the subtitles she's like i'm 16 but the dub she's like i'm 18 sir <laughs> that's uh that's funny that's good. So it's a 16-year-old playing a 14-year-old that we have to pretend is an 18-year-old. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, of course, this, to be clear, is not a hardcore film. No, it's and a... there's very little sexual activity, including her, mostly, even simulated. It's mostly exploitation of the body. Yes, mostly her just being stripped naked and beaten and tortured. Yeah, it rules. <laughs> so in addition to susan who would go on to do six or seven movies for jess franco and only for jess um we also have william berger who is uh, a more experienced actor who was in several of jess's films and several other films uh, he was in 151 films on imdb that's a lot of films to be in yeah, so it's in, as many films as there are Pokemon. That that's right, um, and that's only if you include Mew. Yeah, which I always do because I don't want to leave her out. <laughs> but uh, he wasn't chained to just Jess Franco films. He was making films for European directors all over, and a lot of them are uh, different genre films of various sorts. But he was in some westerns and. He was in uh, Devil Fish and uh, several other films of the era. But he is in the role of Father Vicente, who uh, is quite a great presence in this film. Yes. We also have uh, Anna Zanotti as uh, Mother Alma, the Grand Priestess. This wasn't her only role for Jess Franco. Um, but she also uh, plays an important role in this film and does a pretty good job as an intimidating character. Uh, she actually has 65 credits on IMDb, and not just as a uh, Jess Franco, actually. Are they all for Jess Franco? 100. I don't think any of them are for Jess Franco other all than this 160 one. 160 films for Franco. This might have been her only film for Jess Franco, <laughs> but she did a lot of uh, TV work, especially just looking at IMDb. So she looks good like for her. she has a face for television. She is still acting today, in fact. God, that's quite a long, um, quite a long repertoire. 
repertoire. Um, and unlike last week's film, there's not just five people in the cast. There's quite a few and lots of extras and everything else. So, again, uh, with this being a Dietrich production after he got called out, yeah. Um, you know, there were the reins were tightened a bit, but at the same time, you know, he was given a lot more resources than he was in a lot of cases. So, yeah. uh, the result is something very different than a lot of the things that he made. Not completely unlike everything, because you can go back to his stuff like Justine and Eugenie yeah. in uh, the late 60s, those UK productions that he did. Uh, I would say that those are similar to this, but even still, I think this might be on a slightly bigger scale. Yes, this one has a noticeably larger budget than, I think, any of the Franco films we've covered on this podcast, at least. Right. Yeah. Um, But despite that, yeah, there are some things you can't take away from a Franco film, no matter how watchful an eye you keep on him. Right. He's going to get in there because he's sneaky. He's a sneaky little dude who knows exactly what he wants. A sneaky little Pete. Sneaky Pete himself. Pete Franco. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, and this uh, leans heavily into the nunsploitation genre. Yes. Which is, uh, of course, a a fun little genre that we get to dip into every now and then on the Raincoat Report. Yeah, I think it's been a while, so it's good to get back in the habit. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, that's as good of an intro as any, so... That's all uh, you're going to get. It's all you're going to get. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk love letters of a Portuguese nun. We don't have enough battery to fuck around. Yeah, we have to get this in one take. (laughs) Fuck it, we'll do it live. Okay. So, Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun starts with a uh, text crawl on the screen that says, This is the story of a girl who wrote a letter to God. God replied. We then see... Is this like a religious film? Did I pick a, like the wrong thing? <laughs> <laughs> we see a guy chasing a girl through the woods. This is Cristobal. Yeah, it's Cristobal. Who is uh, chasing Maria through the woods. Cristobal falls and pretends to be hurt, and Maria approaches him and he grabs her when she checks on him. She takes off again, and they go running, and they're having fun with each other. But then she runs into a priest who's been watching them. This is Father Vicente. Yeah. He doesn't like their games. He doesn't. He seems to think that she has broken her chastity, which she assures him isn't true. 
He grills her a bit and then tells Cristobal to go home, accusing him of seducing her. He says he's going to take her back to her mother. So he does not like teens playing in the woods. No, no, no one should. They, <laughs> they get up to no good out there. They walk down a road in the forest and uh, we get some credits. We cut to the priest talking to her mother, who assures him that she's been godly up until today. But he notes if she died tomorrow, she'd be condemned to Satan. He suggests that the only solution here is that they take her daughter to the convent of Sarah Dieris. He notes that only the noble generally can get in, but as he's the confessor there, he can put in a good word and even perhaps reduce the cost to fit their means. The mother pleads that she's poor. She's as poor as a church mouse, in fact. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he's finally able to get her to commit to 500 reales. Is it reales? R-E-A-L-E-S? It's not like, I don't I forget Portugal exists. It just hangs out there on the... I just don't edges. know. How, that, that's what it is in the subtitles. I just don't know how to pronounce it. Well, I'm just saying, in general, Portugal, I forget it's there. <laughs> it's just hanging on the edge of Spain. Right. Jutting out there. I don't know how they got their own country. Spain is very tight with the uh clamping that down i don't know how there's just an extra country hanging out on the edge of it yeah i don't know i don't know how that worked out good for them though they have their own language but it's kind of like spanish but not really yeah and then um if you get mad at a brazilian you can't be like quit speaking spanish you gotta be like quit speaking portuguese (laughs) because that's what they speak You know, yeah, the whole Brazil situation is a whole other can yeah, of worms. They're down there below Mexico where they speak Spanish. You would think everyone all the way down would just speak Spanish. <laughs> it's like a reverse America. There's America, we speak American, and there's Spain and the Spanish Americas. <laughs> and they all speak Span. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they speak the language of Span. The priest notes that if she's denied entry into the convent, that money would still go to the church, though. Thank God. (laughs) So uh, he tells her that no one's allowed to leave the convent, and he's the only man allowed in. Uh, The novices in particular are secluded totally from temptation. We then see Maria and the priest riding in a horse-drawn cart, and uh, she's taken into the convent and stops to look at a painting, and this painting has a red-suited devil man in it. Yeah, that is well, that is the devil himself, and he has one silly alfalfa-like horn that uh, sticks out of the middle of his forehead. Yes, he does. It's at this point that Alma shows up, who demands to be called Reverend High Priestess. She immediately asks Maria if she's a virgin and demands she pulls her dress up so she can check. Maria hesitates, but she tells her not to be embarrassed in front of Father Vicente. We see other nuns outside the room watching and whispering. Alma kneels and uh, checks her vagina. Oh, no. Pointing out that she had no bloomers. She mentions she's poor. Yeah. She says, no wonder you're so lustful. Yeah, she had a sluttish upbringing. <laughs> but he didn't make her wear underwear. Alma confirms that she's intact, noting that 
The holy office demands only virgins be admitted to their order. She explains she'll be taken to her cell, and then she'll confess her sins to Father Vicente, and she'll spend the next three days in solitary prayer. We see her go to the confession booth and start talking to Father Vicente. She talks about how her sin was that she had elicited desire in boys. She touched their lips, and on two occasions she touched their chest. Cristobal wanted her to touch him elsewhere, but she ran away and wouldn't do it. She then talks about a dream she had where she was approached by her naked cousin, and uh, she was tempted to give him oral pleasure in the dream. Excellent. Wait, no, that's bad. Father Vicente seems to climax as she's telling him the story. Yes, that is probably accurate. (laughs) This is accurate to, like, stories of uh, just, like, abusive religious leaders, so it's at least real. Yeah, it is, technically speaking, it's supposed to be based off of a writing called Love Letters from the 1600s, but it doesn't really have anything to do with it as most of Jess's adaptations certainly tend to be like. Yeah, but um, no, it's like a thing is like people will ask like later on and they're like, oh yeah, the guy just kept pressing me for real weird details about like my sexual encounters and stuff. I've never given confession before. Well, what is that like? I mean, uh, I assume they that... don't normally do this. Well, yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> uh, ours didn't have a box. Okay. It was just face to face, which is very strange. Yeah. I didn't like that, so I would just always tell them I would lie. <laughs> I would just lie to the priest. That's fair. Yeah. He's not God. He can't stop me. I'll confess, like, I'll do like a real confession later. Or I c- admit to. Um, lying at every other confession (laughs) um but this confessional box even though i didn't have one it still seems unusually thin yeah yeah there's uh i think there's supposed to be more space in there probably you don't want them to be that close yeah i imagine that this was all just stage stuff so that they could easily shoot both of them yeah yeah but in real life there isn't one sometimes fair enough (laughs) Father Vicente says she must repent through thorns and flagellations to be acquitted of the sins of carnal lust. Yes. She's shown to her room by a very supportive nun. And it's at this point that Sister Antonia and Sister Joanna walk in. They are the youngest novices here and uh, feel that the novices should stick together. The nuns then want to play a game where they bite apples and kiss the apples back and forth. Yeah. You didn't play this game? No. You didn't play the bite the apple and kiss the apple around game? No. No. I like this. It's public school for you. Well, just as the apple ends up in Maria's mouth, Alma shows up and dresses them down, sending the other two away. Alma explains to Maria that she must spend the next three days without her dress and she'll be punished with thorns. Yeah. This is a... You don't want to lose this game. No. (laughs) Alma addresses Maria. She tells her this is the beginning of the thorny path of self-punishment. Oh, no. She then wraps a thorny branch around her chest and another around her midsection as she cries out. 
We get a cutaway to some fake blood dripping down skin, but it's completely lit differently, so it doesn't really match up with everything else. Yes. We then cut away from that to Alma praying. But uh, her prayer isn't the usual one that you would see from a nun. No. This one, in fact, seems to be a prayer to Satan. Yeah, it's to the devil. Two other nuns come into the room, and when Alma stands up, we see that she's only wearing the hood and, like, the front white part of her habit, but otherwise she's completely naked. Yeah. She lays down on the bed, and the other two nuns kneel next to the bed. They place what they describe as a powder from a child's liver in a bowl between her hips. Yeah, they're... Or below her hips. Yeah. Something about a dead baby's heart goes into... Yeah, something like that. Uh, do, what version did you watch? The I mean, Portuguese. I, in the well, it's German. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I watched the German version with the subtitles, so maybe they said the heart in the dub. Yeah, in the I, subtitles they said liver. I feel like because um, I had, I, like I said, I had them both on, but I feel like your version of the film is just ever so slightly different from what I experienced. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Alma then writhes around, so this is a definite Jess Franco moment. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Then we see there's a nun in the foreground with her head kind of in front of where Alma's crotch is, but we see some smoke rising from her, which is uh, obscured. Alma cries out and writhes more, crying out to Satan to help her. The nuns kiss on her legs. She cries out that she's going to birth Satan's child, but it can't take shape yet because that's what the Lord of Hell has decided, and she bursts into tears. Why can't I be the devil's mother? (laughs) She notes she sacrificed her virginity to him on Walpurgis night when he appeared to her as Father Vicente. She cries out that she's dying and pulls up her covering to expose her crotch. We see more smoke rising from off screen and some classic Jess Franco close up vagina shots. Yes. I was wondering if Satan was like, is he a gas? It's like a smoke. Perhaps. But it seems to have not worked. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, ultimately. We then get some cutaway shots of some hairy hands and a bloody woman's body. Yes, the devil's hairy hands. Yes. Yes. Hairy hands and. Yeah, Harry Hanson. He works for the devil. (laughs) (laughs) We then cut to Maria in bed, and she's kind of writhing around. We see her having her dream of her cousin approaching him on a stairway. She notes she might be punished. Then we see a cutaway to a hairy, bloody hand touching a vagina. And then cut to Maria waking up. She's got blood soaking through her nightgown from her thorns. Excellent. We then get a cutaway to a torture chamber. There's a woman in a vice and uh, some other women in tortured in other ways. Yeah, they're being stripped nude and dabbled with fake blood. Yes. It's the ultimate torture. It's just like uh, blood-sucking freaks. This is exactly how it happened in the olden days. Oh, yeah. It's almost very much like a documentary. We see Maria awaken again. And cut to the next day, and it's raining out, and the nuns are out gossiping with one another. Alma approaches Maria, and Maria talks about her being in pain. She tells Alma that she can't bear the pain. She refers to herself as simple-minded and says she doesn't understand all of this. 
Alma says that she can help her achieve the right attitude as long as she submits herself to Alma completely. Her carnal desire must be met with inflicting pain upon herself. She must drive thorns into her feet this evening. They love some thorns in the Catholic (laughs) Church. They sure do. It's their answer to everything. Well, have you tried thorns? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She tried putting thorns in and out of yourself. (laughs) We then see Cristobal, who jumps a fence to the convent and starts to sneak around the building. It's at this point that I notice that he kind of looks like Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah. He lets himself in and somehow finds Maria's room. She tells him to go away and notes she'll be in trouble if he's here. He wants her to run away with him, but she won't. She can't be his wife. She's going to commit herself to God. She tells him to leave, and he does. Big mistake. Yeah. Alma is then playing an organ in her room, and two nuns are on a bed kissing and caressing one another, mostly naked except for their hoods. Sure. And their giant cross necklaces. Yeah, that's what you leave on all the time. I mean, it hides you from God. Everything else is like a cloaking device. (laughs) They're all talking in weird, disconnected sentences. One of them says, I can see him in the shape of a goat. Ah. And they continue to pray to Lucifer and grind on each other. I can see him in his hairy hands. (laughs) Yes. We get some cutaways to Maria in her bed. And back to the nuns. Give me the devil. I want to ride him, one of them says. I did the, yeah, I did. I remember that. Maria sits up, hearing moaning from the other room, and she starts crying, perhaps struggling with her dirty thoughts. We cut to the next day, and there's a train of nuns walking around and chanting prayers. Maria walks into the cathedral, where Alma is leading prayer regarding the sins of a novice. As Maria sits, she's told by Alma to speak her sins. We then cut to later, and Maria walks into a room with a stack of papers. She grabs a quill and starts to write. Later, we see her approach Sister Josephina, who she was told could get a letter out for her. Mm, That was a mistake. Indeed. So she wrote a letter to her mother that she wants to have delivered, and Josephina agrees to it. But then we cut to later, where Alma is reading from the letter. (laughs) Maria admitted in the letter that if Cristobal came back, she'd flee with him this time. She also noted in the letter that everybody here acts strange, and the father seems to be a sinner himself. Uh Uh-oh. Alma tells her that these are libelous statements. She then calls in Josephina, telling her that Maria wishes to be imprisoned so she can flagellate herself. Yes, they're going to put her in the sin box. Maria says that's not what she wants, but Alma assures her that we know what you want. (laughs) Maria's taken to a room where two nuns undress her into just a gown and lock her in a little wooden booth behind bars. The sin box. (laughs) Father Vicente then walks into the room. He says... The hour has come for her to sacrifice her virginity to the order. She must complete a task he has chosen for her. He explains he hasn't found peace in prayer since she told her story about her dream with her cousin. So he demands that she treat him the same as she treated her cousin in the dream. Then he pushes her down on the floor and uh, seemingly enters her orally. Yes. 
We see this for a moment and hear the moans before we pan away to a shot of the shoreline through the window. Yeah. Classic Franco. Yeah, that's a um, visual shorthand for the wet shot. <laughs> <laughs> we then cut to a ceremony where Alma is praying to Satan. Father Vicente walks in with Maria and sits her behind Alma. Alma tells Maria to prepare herself to sacrifice her virginity to the King of Kings. Maria cries out to her Heavenly Father, but Alma talks about her father in hell, who Um. will take her as her bride, and she will give birth to devils in the shape of newts and snakes. Father Vicente tells everyone to kneel, and uh, then a devil man appears. (laughs) Oh, yes, our devil man is here, and so he it's looks the bored. same. Yeah, it's the same guy from the painting, and he's in like a a mostly full body, like red uh, spandex suit, mm-hmm. and uh, he's got like a tuft of like hair or something coming out of his head, like See, a, uh, it's a almost it's it's a phallic jut from his hairline. Yes. Um. I feel like, yeah, is, this a, is there not like a full horn? Does that come later? Maybe it is a horn. It's, it's like kind a, of floppy, whatever it is. It's a hair it horn. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's not the traditional devil you would expect. It's The devil you deserve. Yeah. He focused on like one weird painting of the devil from the Renaissance, and he's like, this is the one I want. <laughs> this is the Portuguese devil. Oh, yeah. With this single tuft of horn-like hair that flops back and forth beneath his cowl of red. (laughs) (laughs) He lifts up Maria's dress and seemingly mounts her from behind as the other nuns open up their tops and start to expose their breasts. They start to make out and caress one another. We get some close-up nipple-licking and uh, bush-rubbing. You're the paramour of the devil now. Heaven is close to you forever, Alma says. We then cut back to Maria in her little cage cell, her sin box. Alma approaches and asks if she's calmed down now. Maria says she can't with everything that happened. Alma insists that she's confusing her dreams with reality, and she must stay there until she can sort it out. We then see Maria running out of the building and hopping a fence to run away. Somehow she got out of her box and out of the place. It's at that point that she enters the town and asks where Don Antonio is. And she's sent to his house. Don Antonio is apparently the mayor of the village there. Uh, He's an egg of a man. He is an egg of a man. (laughs) He looks like the bad guys in David Lynch's Dune. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So she talks to him, and he listens to her. She explains she had to leave the convent, and they're holding black masses and making her do sinful things. Where do you get a man shaped like this? (laughs) Where do you find him? I don't know. (laughs) Okay. I I mean, I I feel like you could go to any Kroger and find one. (laughs) I guess you could, but... (laughs) He would also have to be willing to get in front of a camera in his egg shape. (laughs) So, I don't know. Yeah, it was probably harder, and I don't know, maybe there's a whole class of German guys that look this way. Perhaps. Perhaps. Don Antonio, the mayor, says she must be mistaken. She knows them. Humpty Dumpty German? He was an egg. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I don't know for sure. It definitely feels like something that would be German. Yeah. There's no solution for him in the end. He just falls off the wall. Yeah, they couldn't put him back together again. Yeah, they even let the horses try, which was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if the men had tried before the horses, there may have been a chance. Yeah, they just stomped that shell into dust as they tried to solve the, <laughs> the ache man's problems. I'm glad that doesn't happen to him. I'm glad he makes it through the film intact. Yes, he does. After a while, he finally says, okay, he'll see what he can do. So then we cut to Don Antonio driving a horse-drawn cart with Maria in the back. She's asleep, and uh, he drives her right back to the convent, just as Father Vicente was getting in a cart to leave and try to find Maria. Yeah. He brought her back, and Alma says, oh, she's just confused, and Don Antonio notes that she wanted to see the Inquisition judges, but... He knew he could just bring her back here. So they thank him. He's got the body and the intellect of an egg. <laughs> we then see Maria tied to a St. Andrew's cross, being wrapped in chains as Father Vicente watches on. Once she's secured, Alma approaches, saying, They must see if she's possessed by the devil. If she doesn't admit it, she'll turn her over to the Inquisition. Alma and Vicente decide that torture is necessary. So they send nuns at her with pinchers and pokers that uh, break her skin. She starts to bleed, and but she won't confess to being possessed by the devil. It's at this point that we see the Inquisition court gathering, and Father Vicente is granted an audience. So we see Father Vicente talking to two of the Inquisition judges as they walk around. He mentions that they have a novice that they think is in league with the devil, and they feel that she deserves the mercy of the Inquisition. I think so. The Inquisition judges note that they've been losing power lately. They can't always execute their judgments. We cut back to the convent, and Vicente is there... And he yells to bring out Maria and Alma because the Inquisitor himself is there. Excellent. Vicente returns to the carriages with Alma. They both kneel before the Inquisitor. Maria is brought out and loaded into a carriage with bars in it. A prisoner carriage. A paddy wagon, so to speak. Yes. The carriages take off and after a bit, the carriages pass a prince who's on horseback. He demands that they stop, but they don't. Yeah. His advisor, who's riding with him, tells him that that was the Inquisitor and they've got an accused witch with them. The prince wants to put a stop to it, but his advisor tells him that until they can prove that witches don't exist, the church will continue to burn them. Yeah, you've got to do just as much work to not get them to burn the witches. And it's probably really not worth it in the end. <laughs> <laughs> you may as well just let them burn. Maria's brought before the Inquisition court. I'm not going to prove a witch doesn't exist. That's crazy. <laughs> Maria's brought before the Inquisition court and admits to having given herself to the devil and being his paramour. She is then sentenced to death. But she demands they look into the high priestess and the father, as they're the ones who made her do it. Yeah. Maria's taken away, and the Inquisitor says her accusations towards... Vicente and Alma will be dealt with in a separate trial. 
Alma and Vicente are shocked that they could be put on trial. The Inquisitor says they don't believe the word of a witch, but they must look into these things. He then notes that if she signs a paper admitting her accusations were lies, they could avoid any interrogation altogether. So we cut to a room where multiple women are tied up, this torture <laughs> chamber. Uh, Maria is on... What, what, what the hell is that called? The stretchy thing? She's on the rack. The rack. She's yeah. on the rack. That's where her pizza's at. Oh, yeah. Her pizza is on the rack. Where is it? It's still being prepared. It's not even at the bake stage yet. They're stretching it out on oh, the rack. yeah. I guess they do have to stretch the dough out on the rack before they cook it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Now I don't feel as anxious about it. Yeah. It's the Inquisition in miniature. It's the whole process of making a pizza. (laughs) They keep stretching her, and she does not withdraw. No, she gets many feet taller. Alma then approaches with a stick with a flame on the end and pokes her with it off screen. I believe this is supposed to be toward her vagina. But uh, at that point, they finally hand her a quill and she signs a paper <laughs> withdrawing her accusation. Excellent. We cut to Maria laying down. It's light outside and uh, she awakens and starts to look around. But men walk in at that point and explain that the church will have her burned at the stake. She protests, but they quickly leave and she looks out the window. She then walks back towards the middle of the room to a table that has a quill and some paper, and she starts to write something. It's a letter to God explaining the situation. This is the wishing... love letter. Yes. Uh, I will say in the dub, mm-hmm. there's no like voiceover or anything. Oh, yeah? So it's just her quietly writing a letter for several minutes. If I didn't have the subtitles on, you wouldn't know what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. She explains the situation says she wishes that she had stayed true to god we then see the prince on horseback talking about the inquisitor at that point maria drops her letter out the window and it flies away and lands in the bushes near the prince he sees it fall and goes to inspect it yeah he his man thinks it's a pigeon but it's not it's paper this level of happenstance is preposterous (laughs) yeah (laughs) The prince then reads it and looks up at the tower that Maria is in. We cut to the next day and we're at the execution. Alma and Vicente watch on as everyone gathers to see Maria burn. All the townsfolk are excited. Yeah, they love the burnings. I mean, back in that day, you couldn't watch pro wrestling on TV. There's very little entertainment. There weren't any nunsploitation films to watch, that's for sure. Yeah, that's true. So So you you, got to watch something. Yeah, seeing a witch burn was probably... Yeah, it's the highlight of the month. (laughs) Maria is led up to the stake by the executioner. And just as she gets there, the prince shows up, demanding this stop. He says, there must be a new trial, and Alma and Vicente must be brought to trial as well. The prince has Maria unchained and brings her down. Vicente and Alma run away and start to make their way into the cathedral, but they're surrounded by guards. At this point, the frame freezes, and we fade out. Yes. And uh, that was Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun. It does just end. Yes, it does. Um, I only remember they were in Portugal again when he said he was the prince. (laughs) (laughs) 
So uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll give our final thoughts on Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun. Yes. roll you know when i'm not ready i'll say things like let's go or action um and then i'll just sit there in a ponderous silence for maybe sometimes minutes at a time <laughs> i heard you weren't allowed back at churchill downs i wasn't because um i took all the horse paste when i was sick oh yeah yeah they caught me they caught me <laughs> i was taking it right out of the out of the stables <laughs> like a little goblin i had my hands full and a jockey caught me a little man in a red jacket chased me out well that's sad yeah it was on the news oh yeah yeah they didn't know it was me there said it was a um, a bigfoot did you see local weatherman uh uh oh god his name just escaped me i just had it in my head is it Cardosi? No, it was uh, Mark Weinberg. Okay, no uh, from WDRB. I don't he, watch the local news. Well, I don't either, but uh, there is a viral video of him giving a weather report where he stops and farts really hard <laughs> and then continues. <laughs> and it's like the guy could have just kept doing his weather report and just kind of squeezed it out yeah. like subtly or something, but he stops his sentence, farts, and like. <laughs> jumps up a little bit when he does it like he's terrified of what just happened and then he continues his weather report and it's loud too it's... yeah he wasn't expecting it to be so loud i think yeah but yeah i think if he had just kept talking it would have covered it naturally but um he seemed frightened almost of what he had made <laughs> exactly <laughs> um you think franco felt that way when he saw this Probably perhaps not. no no <laughs> not at all he was, um, I guess that brings us to the segment where I do the raincoat review. Okay, yeah, uh, do the raincoat review. Peel my face off. It's everybody's favorite dance, the raincoat review. Well, it's just the raincoat. Well, there, there's there's two dances. Everybody was keep, doing the raincoat last year. I can't keep up with all these dances. But this year, it's all about the raincoat review. Okay, well, I'm going to get funky with it cut a rug with my review okay okay uh your opening segment answered quite a few uh lingering questions that i had had about this film such as okay why is the budget so high why oh, isn't yeah. this like a just franco film <laughs> what is happening this is almost like a normal movie by like a competent uh human director <laughs> um so i thought that was a pretty interesting uh it still has, like, a lot of the themes that he would work with, like a lot of, like, uh, you mentioned earlier, like, uh, Desaad-type stuff. Yes. Um, and that's especially 
true. I think of pretty much anything in the nunsploitation uh, genre because you're doing, you should be doing, I guess, some kind of social commentary well, between it, the, the whippings. Right. Well, and this one in particular, um, going back to Stephen Thrower's writing in uh, his book, Flowers of Perversion. Yeah. He talks about how if you were to relate the plot of this film to any of his other films, it probably mostly parallels Justine, which was more of a Marquis de Sade, more literal translation than something like Cries of Pleasure, even though it was still a bit off. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, you know, this is another case where Maria is just being thrashed around and all she's trying to do is like be honest and truthful, but it's all the people that are around her that are uh, not being honest and truthful and doing the right thing that are benefiting. And she's just, uh, you know, she might not be executed at the end of this movie, uh, but she still might. It's not really, she's just getting another trial. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't yet overlook that, but yeah. Um, (laughs) No, this film, yeah, it's definitely very heavily, like, just, like, the Justine concept, which is, like, you just uh, elaborated on, is basically virtue is punished. Right. Um, And that's a lot of Franco's films. This one is just, he apparently was under such trite control that it doesn't come out in the same way as some of the other ones do. Right. Uh, Like, all the parts are there uh, in his brain, but... There was a like a straight jacket on him that <laughs> made him make an actual movie. Um, I do think, like with most, I do think he took some advantage. The costumes and everything look good. I think yeah. it looks a lot better than some of his more uh, unrestrained films. Okay, yeah, but yeah. it does lack that sort of essential like psychedelic flair. Yeah, and you get some bits of that during like kind of the orgy scenes right with the devil and some of the stuff where uh mother Alma's trying to have a, a devil baby yeah but uh aside from that it's a pretty restrained film it feels more like maybe like a like a hammer film of the arrowwood mm-hmm. uh where they just kind of it's kind of historical drama where they occasionally bring out uh, some young girls and get them naked and throw fake blood on them. <laughs> right. And and that's cool. That's um that's its own that's a thing. Yeah, I love I that. My, I lost my train of thought, but I love that too. Uh I would say overall this film even if it doesn't have the usual uh form of a Franco film has a lot of the same content with the ideas um sort of warning against the powerful. Right. Uh in that kind of way that he often does. Like, I didn't talk about it too much uh, on last week's episode, but that's definitely an example of that where they're literally just rich people just cutting uh, other people's throats for fun. Right, right. So sometimes it's a little less subtle. Sometimes it's a little more subtle. This one's probably uh, just a little more subtle. Mm-hmm. Though I would say, yeah, I think the basic gist of this film, you kind of elaborated on a little bit earlier, but uh, it's a... Life sucks if you're a woman, and people will abuse you and do what you want, unless that those people hurting you offend someone in a higher station. Right. And then that person in a higher station will bring the hammer down because something was done wrong against them. Right. Uh, and that's about the only way you're going to face justice in this world. <laughs> <laughs> I think is more or less the uh, 
overall message of the film. Right. Uh, definitely the other message is don't trust institutions. Right. But uh, it's also your life is going to be influenced by these institutions beyond uh, your capability to control them. And the only other people who are going to have any power are other people who are also above you right. in this power struggle. <laughs> so hang in and I guess try to enjoy the ride, I right. guess is the message of this film. Uh, there were no love letters. There weren't? No. There, they should have just called this a letter to God and you could just... Um, are you there, God? It's me, Maria. Yeah, are you there, God? It's me, Maria. They've got me trapped in a tower and the devil is raping me. <laughs> and they could put it on the Hallmark Channel. Yeah. Yeah, or something. I don't know. This seems, aside from the nudity, the kind of film we would have seen in, like, Christian, like, Catholic school. Okay, yeah. You would get some stuff about, like, the saints being tortured. or One of them was, like, about, like, children being tortured and they refused to confess. And then, like, Mary, like, appeared in the boiling oil they were going to dip the children in. So they didn't dip the children in boiling oil. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that kind of thing. Awesome. Yeah. It's very worried as a child that someone was going to tempt me from uh, Christ. Oh, damn. Yeah. It's mostly about like walking home from school. <laughs> Anybody could step out from behind a rock and tempt me away from the Lord. So who finally did it? Uh, I mostly did it to myself. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I had like a summer break and I was like, these people are full of shit. <laughs> I just took a summer break to myself and got my head right. <laughs> Good for you. Thanks. That's, um, oh yeah, I guess that's, I'm supposed to end a review here. Yeah, you should give it a score. No. Three and a half. Okay. Yeah, it was, um, it's a pretty interesting film. Definitely not my favorite Franco film. Pretty good for non-exploitation. Doesn't quite go far enough, but it does go further than some. Yeah. All right, so I would agree with what you said there. Uh, I said a lot. You did say a lot. But, uh, you know, I think it's an interesting film. It's interesting to see Jess with a bigger budget. Um, this isn't the only bigger budget Franco film I've seen, but it's, you know, one of just a few. Right. And it's always interesting to see what he can churn out when he has, like, especially when he has time. Yeah. I would um, say the main color palette of this film is brown yeah it is a brown brown film it's a brown film um this i'm gonna give it a three because i don't like brown that much (laughs) i'm going back and revising it okay now this film has a lot going on for it uh you know again because of the extra we'll say effort put into it Mm -hmm. jess wasn't shooting three films at the same time when he was putting this together and just abandoning it on an editor's desk afterwards, being like, here, put this together. (laughs) Um, Instead, uh, he was able to kind of focus and craft a film, and because of that, the film itself has production values well above Jess's normal fare, and it's not as sloppy as most of his films are. No, it's more precise. Um, There are... Precisely sloppy. There are definitely moments of jess franco cinematography here but most of the film seems pretty expertly shot and put together it is a fun exploration of marquis de sade stuff 
and there's there's a lot to enjoy there's uh you know beautiful naked women and uh there's a devil man in a red spandex suit yes and uh there's a lot of smoke there's a lot of smoke and a woman trying to birth the devil yeah. so there's chains there's chains you there's like chains there's uh the rack yeah well, they put her on the rack and they stretched her out and she can play basketball now <laughs> exactly um so there's there's a lot of fun here it definitely lacks a lot of the psychedelic Jess Franco nature that I enjoy. It doesn't seem to be the ramblings of a madman in <laughs> cinematic form. And for that, it kind of suffers a little bit for me. Um, because that's kind of what I like the most about Jess Franco's. It's just unchained wildness. Yeah, and yeah, this film doesn't, like I said, outside of those couple moments where the devil takes over it does kind of lack that right like the sort of stuff you would see several times in a franco film is kind of limited to just uh, maybe like one or two short scenes right and, and when i think about something that like this film takes its material more seriously than some of the non-sploitation films that i've seen yes and i think it also suffers in that way because once I you start so. taking it seriously i start thinking of things like uh, Ken Russell's The Devils, yeah, which is definitely a much better movie. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you can't give it too much of a uh, like a historical sheen if you're just going for exploitation, because then you have to you got to start talking about like the Catholic hierarchy and stuff that this film kind of starts to dig into. Right? They're like this one busybody thinks that you all should be investigated, right? Even though the rest of us know it's the delusions of a uh, a devil mad teenager right but uh we gotta investigate you now um the soundtrack's all right yeah it's not great but it's not bad in any way it's fine it, it does the job yeah it's very um it uses a lot of i guess like period like type music like the kind of stuff you would expect to uh hear in a historical film about the devil right and god there's a lot of um chanting yeah there's some good a lot of organ playing a lot of chanting <laughs> <laughs> um severin films recently released a non-sploitation box set and uh it had several non-sploitation films in it that i recently watched and yes. those are kind of fresh in my mind as well and i feel like those films took themselves a little less seriously and went more exploitation mm-hmm and they benefited from that. This one does a lot of cool stuff and has its great moments, but overall, I don't love it. Yeah. Um, but it's not a bad film. I would say it's a good film. I would give it three stars. Yeah, I think a three is about what this one deserves. It's uh, It never really hits a very sexy point, right? to be honest. Sorry. So um, if you're tuning in for that, you're going to be disappointed. Sorry you sat through an hour plus just to get to that revelation now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's the kind of film I'd be forced to watch in Catholic school. Three stars. <laughs> All right. As always, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Raincoat Report. 
Uh, as of the time that this episode comes out, our Patreon is launching in just a matter of days. Yeah, it'll be up in seconds. Yes, so uh, hit, hit up our Instagram or Twitter for a link to that. It's yes. probably like patreon.com slash raincoat report. One can but only But at the hope. moment I'm recording this, I'm not for sure. So uh, we, caveat emptor. We have a special one that you can't find. You have to go on the dark <laughs> web to get to our Patreon. <laughs> Oh, boy. So, yeah, follow us. Instagram, uh, Twitter. Twitter. Yes. That's about it. That's all the only ones we're on. Um, I think I'm signing off now for Boss. This is Jeremy. Uh, if you're out there getting put up on the, the, the scaffolding, they got a big old fucking pile of wood they dragged out to burn you. Don't forget your raincoat. <laughs> <laughs>